Amen. Notice, just notice this. I hadn't made a note about it, but notice at the end of verse 9 that the people do not repent because of the plagues. And we've seen this this theme before where the, God sends the plagues as a just punishment against evil, but often plagues don't cause people to repent, at least here in Revelation. But something else will cause people to worship, and we talked about that. Often it's the witness of the followers of the Lamb. It's the Christians and their witness to love our, love our enemies, our witness to love our enemies, care for those around us, um, that makes people stop and wonder what's different about us. And that can prompt people to worship. And there's another prompt uh, in this passage as well that we'll get to in a moment of how people are, are uh, uh, often have a change of heart to come back to God or come to God. So what do we make of this? Chapter 15 is sort of the build-up to the pouring out of this next uh, sequence of plagues. And I don't know if you knew this but um, or noticed it, but every earlier uh, sequence of the seven judgments, when we did it with the, what is the first one? Seals, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls. Before each sequence of seven, you get sort of a, a prelude in, in heaven, so in God's sanctuary, like what's kind of going on. And you kind of get a behind-the-scenes look of what's happening before the judgment sequence happens. And so chapter 15 is that. You're getting uh, this opening scene in God's sanctuary. And what we see here is the people of God who share in the Lamb's victory are continuing the celebratory worship that, that John saw in the previous chapter, in chapter 14. And we read here that they are singing the song of Moses. This is verse 3. Moses is called the servant of God. Isn't that great? The servant of God, the bond servant of God. And the song of the Lamb, and then it, it records what they're saying. Uh, they're singing the song of Moses. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, etc. And what does that tell us? Well, Moses' song, of course, is a this is a call back to celebrations that happened in Israel's exodus out of Egypt, right? So it's celebrating that God had redeemed people out from under uh, an oppressive system that was enslaving them, that was preoccupied with false worship, idol worship. And out of that uh, enslavement, God had brought his people, had freed them, had redeemed them, and made them into a new people, a kingdom of priests, right? A holy nation. And so that's a song that's being celebrated here. We're, we're think back to Moses for a moment. And that makes a lot of sense because what we're getting in Revelation, again, are our final judgments, the last pouring out of God's just wrath against human evil, Again, this idea of God dealing with the pharaohs, dealing with, with the oppressiveness of human evil and rescuing not just now the children of Israel, but rescuing all of his broken and ruined creation out from under the effects of evil, out from all of the injustice and war and oppression and destruction of the beastly empires. And he's doing that in and through Jesus who makes the new exodus because of his sacrifice on the cross creates a new exodus, a new redemption for all people who will come, to come out from under these oppressive empires and to come into faith and fellowship with God. And in that, in that process, of course, if you recall, just as in 
Exodus, as God's people are redeemed, Pharaoh and his army are destroyed. So in the action of God loving and saving his people, God is also enacting his justice, uh, his 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 righteous justice, this holy justice. This is not just a capricious God throwing a tantrum. This is right and just that he do this. But he is enacting his justice upon the perpetrators of evil and destroying them. This is what happens in the Red Sea, right? And the very act of Israel's redemption becomes also the act of destroying the evil itself. The two are kind of going hand in hand. And so Pharaoh's army is destroyed, and in many ways, likewise, the followers of Jesus are redeemed, but those who have chosen to follow the beast, who have taken the mark of the beast, right? Again, that's the sign of your allegiance to sinful human empire, to powers and to false god. Uh, it's, the, it's like the, the picture of your rebellion against God. In, in the act of God saving his people, God is also dealing with those who have chosen life apart from him and have perpetuated evils in the world, and he's now enacting his justice upon them, uh, those who have taken the mark of the beast. So I think that this call to the song of Moses is a good image for what God is doing here, even as these these bowls are being poured out, that God is saving his people just like he was in Exodus, but he's also dealing with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's empire, and in the same way, God is redeeming people through Christ and dealing now with those who have taken the mark of the beast. Do you see the, the parallels is what I'm trying to say? Kind of as in Exodus, so now here in Revelation. That's what I'm trying to say. Hope that made sense. So now, notice, so that's the first thing I wanted to, to point out. The other thing I wanted to point out is notice in verse 1, John says, uh, the seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So there's a sense of which um, the justice of God will be properly exhausted in this final pouring and, and the sequence to come. There's a final pouring out of these judgments, and then there's a final battle that comes later. Um, but in this, God's anger against evil is complete. It's It'll be fully poured out. But that makes us kind of be confronted again with this concept of God's judgment or God's anger. And that can be difficult to swallow. I think thinking about that Exodus moment's helpful, right? Thinking about how he's rescuing Israel and then dealing with Pharaoh. And in this case here in Revelation, again, Jesus gathering his people or rescuing his people. They're sealed by him that whatever comes, they will be with him, right? Even if that means to death, they're sealed by him. We're sealed by Jesus, but God is also going to do proper justice against the evils in the world that can be difficult to swallow and i wonder you know do we like some of the so-called progressive christians just pretend there's no wrath at all or try to explain it away because it makes us so uncomfortable uh you know it's not actually wrath it's our wrath so to speak but notice the bible actually sees god's justice sees god's wrath against evil his divine judgment actually inspiring the nations to worship. If you look at verse 4, it says, We will not, again, just and true are your ways, God, first of all. You know this better than I. But look at verse 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. And then note this. All the nations will come 
and worship you. Again, this call to the multi-ethnic worldwide people of God from every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, all the nations will come. doesn't mean everyone from every nation will come. There's clearly some who don't. But the invitation's open to everybody. Christianity is not a white religion, right? Came in the Middle East. This is for everybody. Um, so uh, all the nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. And his righteous acts, I've seen in some places, have been translated to say, your judgments have been revealed. God's judgments have been revealed. And so that means that God's judgments reveal him and God's judgments actually can cause people to turn and to worship, bring people to a place where they want to worship God. Well, how does that work? Because here we were reading, just and true are your ways, but they did not repent in chapter 16, verse 9, at the plagues. But there, excuse me, there is something that in God's righteous judgment against evil can prompt people to come and worship and to help explain that, I just want to draw on, a, on an illustration I read this week from N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, in his commentary, Revelation for Everyone. And he tells an illustration, sort of a parable, to help explain this idea of how can God's wrath and judgments actually prompt worship? How does that work? And so he, he talks about it like this. He says, imagine a village, maybe in in ancient Israel, imagine a little village that's out in the countryside and it's a long way from the city and the traders don't come very often. Uh, there's not a lot of visitors that come through. You very seldom have government officials come through. There's a little, little town out over here somewhere. But once in a while, the circuit judge comes to the neighborhood, maybe every few months or so if they're lucky, and has to deal with things. But even though he only comes every few months, it tends to be that there's a lot of things that need looking after. There's a builder who's cheated a customer who refuses to admit his fault. There's a, a widow who's had her purse stolen. And since no one can plead on her behalf, nothing can get done. There's a, a family that's evicted by a ruthless landlord who thinks he can get more rent from someone else and so on and so on. And nobody can put a stop to all these injustices until the judge comes. And when he comes, when he rides into town, the expectations are massive, right? There's months of pent-up frustration that's going to now boil over, and the judge is going to have to keep order. He'll have to hear the cases properly, uh, make sure he doesn't take any bribes, right? He'll have to especially listen to those who have no one else to speak on their behalf, and then the judge will decide and do his Judgment. Judgment will be done. And in his judgment, chaos will be averted and order will be restored. The thief will have to return the woman's purse, for instance. Uh, the landlord and the false accusers who are trying to swindle people will, will instead get the punishment uh, that they were hoping to inflict on others is now going to come and be placed on them. And as a whole... And this is Wright's words again. It's the, as a whole, the village breathes a sigh of relief that justice has been done. And now Wright says, magnify that little village up to a global scale. The wicked empire has become more and more powerful. They're taking money, 
and they're taking lives and they're taking pleasure as they please. And the cry goes up to God just as it did in Egypt. And then God acts and his action is a liberating healing sigh of relief because of his judgment. He comes to put things back to right at long last. And one who's looking at this, at the the righteous judgment of God, of him dealing with evil, could look and say there really is a God, and he's come to put things right. He judges the earth, and in saying that, they come to worship him. And I agree with Wright. Wright says, I think this is what we need to keep in mind when we think of judgment. And I would agree that this is God setting his world to right. He's taking the powers of evil and death to task, and he's extinguishing them forever. And that's why when we talk about God's justice, it is a two-sided sword, depending on what side you're on. Again, back to that choice. For the one who's experienced injustice, having the judge come is great news. You've been waiting for someone to come and set this right, an authority that you can rely on who will come and, and deal with evil. But if you're the person perpetuating the injustice, the arrival of the judge is a reckoning. Now, I would admit it, it would be a much cozier and comfier story if we didn't need God's judgment or his holy wrath against evil, right? We might prefer a nice, soft, kind of comfy version of God. But the problem is that doesn't actually match reality. It doesn't work in the real world, in all of the places where we find ourselves as humans in business and in marriage and in matters of state and family and school, there's all sorts of real problems, not just accidental slip-ups. That happens too, but there's also real evil present. There's human greed and pride and fear and abuse and power struggle that happens, and we give in to our evil desires the desires of evil within us all the time. And so such evil needs to be named and confronted or it will only get worse. If God does not take, if God does not hate the wickedness, pardon me, if God does not hate the wickedness that has devastated his good world, then he's not a good God. And if he does not finally do something about these systems, and these individuals who've perpetuated the evil, then he's not a loving God. Now let me say just one more thing on the topic, and again, this is drawing on N.T. Wright. He says, because of the nature of, of his love, of God's love, God will not always step in before the appointed moment. If he did, too many who might yet repent and believe and be rescued would be caught in the middle. God will let evil take its course and bring its own downfall. And at the moment which only he is in any position to judge, he will bring the necessary closure to the world's wrongs. So, folks, God's wrath is in no way contrary to his love. Rather, it's his love that compels him to do something once and for all against those who refuse to repent 
and continue to destroy his good creation and perpetuate evil. And so thankfully, God is both good and loving, just and true are his ways. Not only has he promised to deal with evil and to set things right, but he's also provided each of us a way out of enslavement to evil through Jesus. And he invites us all, each one of us, to come to repent and to believe and to receive new salvation life, to come into the kingdom of God. He wants to forgive our sins so we will be with him forever. But he also has so much more for us, not just into the future, but he has abundant life for us here and now today. And that invitation is open to all who will come. But to those who continue to perpetuate evil, like in the story of the ransacked village, something must be done to set things right. Something must be done to those who defiantly refuse to repent. And so as the bulls are poured out, notice they're poured out the wrath of God upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Verse 2. As those bulls are poured out on those who give their allegiance to the beastly empires that are so intoxicated with their pride and their agendas and the shedding of blood, it says in verse 6, they're getting what they deserve. True and just are your judgments. And God will ultimately, when the time is right, in his time, bring about the end of human evil once and for all. Like that circuit judge coming to set things right in the town, overrun with violence and corruption. Or like any of the great stories where the enemy is finally defeated and goodness wins and the heroes prevail and justice is returned to the world. We sometimes wait to see God's judgment poured out because God is giving people the opportunity to repent. It's the result of his great love for people. And sometimes we would rather him step in sooner than later. But God knows people's hearts and he's waiting till that moment where he eventually will step in. That testing and defiance against God will have a limit. And like I said, eventually God will actually give us over to our desires. But it's not that he hasn't provided a way out. God has reached out to us in Jesus. And again, that question is how do we respond? He gives us that choice of who will we choose to follow the beast or to follow the lamb? Who do we give our allegiance to? And I want to end this morning with this passage from Psalm 81. Psalm 81, verses 10 and 13. I think this captures God's heart in this whole conversation really, really well. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Now this so reflects God's heart for us. He's made a way forward. He's 
brought us out of Egypt. He's brought us out of sin and death through Jesus. But even though we can be saved, we sometimes do not follow him. Sometimes we just don't listen. We refuse him. And God will not force us into a relationship with him. Eventually, he will give us over to our stubborn hearts if we continually refuse him. And that's what we see the results of that in chapter 16. But God's heart is so clear here. Oh, that they would listen and they would walk in my ways. So let's come to Jesus today, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And let's recommit ourselves to walk in his ways and to extend the love and the mercy of God in the mission of the gospel of the kingdom in our broken world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you again for this morning, and I thank you, Lord, that you are just and true. Lord, I thank you that the evil and violence and brokenness and corruption in our world does not go unchecked by you. And even though we may see it seemingly flourish for a season, we know that you will eventually come and set things right. And Lord, our hearts yearn for that day when you will undo the powers of evil once and for all. In the meantime, God, you've given us a very clear commission, a very clear purpose to go into all the world to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them, to follow in your ways, in your truth, to bring the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God to each and every one who will come. It's not our job necessarily, Lord, to force people into the kingdom. We can't do that but we can invite them. We can sow that seed and then entrust you, Holy Spirit, to do the work of, of cultivating the soil in our hearts to be ready for when that seed is sown, that it would take root. Lord, I pray that during this season with COVID, that each one who's, who's listening and watching, who's a, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, Lord, in each of our hearts, would you uh, show us the ways we can uh, spread the good news to those around us. Lord, I pray that in this season, as people are struggling with loneliness and, and there's various mental health issues and all the rest, Lord, that you would give us your peace and your comfort. Pray for those going through cancer and various other medical issues, God, that you would bring a healing and joy and life. Lord, I pray for those who are uh, struggling and frustrated as they see news in the world and think about the injustices in the world. Lord, would you remind us that you will deal with these things in your time and you call us to be faithful to you even when things are difficult. Lord, we pray today for our missionaries and the various work they're doing. Would you uphold them and bless them today? Lord, I, I thank you for our city that we're in and I pray you would help us to be a light uh, to our community, Lord, each one of us, that we would be a witness and an example of your love and your grace and your hope to a world that needs to hear it. Bless each one today, I pray. And uh, Lord, as we head to this fellowship time, at, uh, just after the service here at quarter after 10, that you would uh, help us to encourage each other, 
Thank you for the moments and opportunities we have to connect as best as we can. Lord, we pray that you would uh, lead and guide and give wisdom to all those involved in in navigating uh, this pandemic, our various re- uh, government officials, Lord, and and all of the <laughs> all of the the banter and the noise and the mess of all of the decision making. Lord, we pray that um, wisdom would prevail and that you would uh, do a work of of bringing about a good end to this time. But Lord, I pray you would open our hearts to examine what's going on inside of us during this time, that we would put our hope and faith in you, that we would recognize some of the things in our world that we hold to as steady and permanent are not steady and permanent. Lord, I think of the example of what we build our house on, on rock or on sand. And as COVID has come and some of the things that seem permanent in our lives get kind of washed out, we realize that was sand, not rock. Lord, may we establish our homes and our hearts upon the rock of our faith in you alone, Jesus, that we would be steady and firm in uh, the truth of who you are and in the moments, Lord, where we are struggling just with the reality of life, help us to reach out to those around us to find hope and encouragement and comfort and counsel. Pray that uh, your peace would reign in our hearts and in our homes. Uh, Lord, bless this time. Thank you that you've met with us here. Pray that uh, this message and this worship and these words, this prayer would encourage your people and uh, you would help us to go in peace, to love and to serve you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Bless you as you head into this week ahead. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.